Cargo Cult is a production of Radio Nemo West. Cargo Cult is all about the movies, books, music, and moments that help shape the lifestyle of not only the trucking industry, but also the American obsession with being on the move. What if something just like jumps out in front of you and you have to stop? Don't. What was that? A monster. Host Jimmy Mack and Justin Wellborn engage in a wild, freeform discussion with folks from both the transportation and entertainment worlds. I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. It's a show that's all about the journey. So far, we're doing fine. Hadn't got caught. And now your hosts, Jimmy Mack and Justin Wellborn. In the last episode of Cargo Cult, we spoke about Cannonball Run from 1981. And today, we're going to move into a movie that came from the very next year, Six Pack. Okay, now this movie has a certain... Ah, patina of the past to me because I grew up watching this movie because it came on cable. Uh, it, it was filmed in the areas of Georgia that I, I come from and am familiar with. And it was apparently a movie that was just kind of destined to fail until it was taken on by a legendary singer, Kenny Rogers, with his new Lion Share Productions uh, and just brought it back from the dead and, and needed something that was going to touch in that kind of comedy drama place that, well, Cannonball Run just runs right over that entire concept. And this is a movie that is made to feel, uh, make you feel good. Good for them. Good for yourself. It's a bit banal, right, Jim? It's a. It's I mean, a, it's, it, a, it's, it's a it's, it's a, a real typical story. It's a made-for-TV movie. <laughs> it really is. This made a movie. It's not a made-for-TV movie. It's actually released in the movie theater, but it feels like a made-for-TV movie, right. which is where, in many ways, Kenny Rogers really kind of cuts his teeth and really makes a name for himself. And unlike Cannonball Run, it doesn't bulldoze its way to box office victory. It costs about $11, 12000000 million, ends up making like maybe $20 million. But we were talking about this before we started recording Cargo Cults on this particular episode. There's a warmth to it and a charm to it and a humanity yeah. to it that's utterly lacking in Cannonball Run. 100%. Too. But it, it, it's because <laughs> it's so based in these tropes like a lonely man out there trying to make his way to the top. All he needs is a good woman and maybe a pack of family kids that have been missing their own family whose whose parents have died and are taking care of themselves and ah, I can't take care of them I can't take care of myself which I can totally sympathize with but he totally takes in this this group of six ne'er-do-well kids that are just they're just trying to do their best. It's a mess by stripping cars in an elaborate scheme that's apparently held off by another crooked sheriff uh you know played by Barry Coben it is a uh, it's a Corbin. mashup. Sorry, Barry Corbin. It's a I'd piss on a spark plug if I thought it would help. My favorite <laughs> Barry Corbin line of all time from War Games. I'd piss on a spark plug. I hear if you, I man. It would I, I I loved him best in uh, Northern Exposure. He's so good. And, and, and by that, the way, that is maybe he, my favorite role. He of like uh, Fred Ward is one of the great uh, gifts of acting that people kind of know that guy. They love that guy, and they don't realize how many things that guy has been and oh. how much of a verisimilitude. He's so good in Old Country for uh, uh, No Man, Old Men. Was it no, no country, country for, for old man. man? Old country for no man, as like well as Lonesome Dove. He is just he's he's just and he's, prolific, and he just adds something to all of this stuff. I think what kind of takes it out of the made-for-TV movie feel is exactly the same thing that took all of Kenny Rogers' actually made-for-TV movies 
Out of the, <laughs> which is like the gambler yeah. and all the Coward of the county. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, yeah. by the all way, the subsequent movies that he makes from that. By the way, go back and listen to Coward of the County. That oh, song it's one of is, my favorite songs of it's his. It's terrific, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's also really problematic. And this movie really hits at a time where Kenny Rogers is the shiz. I mean, he is on top of things, man. He is a a, a prolific artist in, in in popular country music. He he's He's expanding. He wants to be out there in movies, in television. He's expanding his, uh, well, his lion's share of of the wealth. And also is, uh, like Frank Sinatra, uh, marvelous at being able to pick songs that will work for him. Totally. And and in the middle of it, all of a sudden, you've got Love Will Turn You Around. And you don't realize it's Kenny Rogers, but that is actually the point in the movie that things turn around. That it comes to the climax of the movie. I mean, it, it's very well scripted the opening uh, the opening very well line, scored the opening lines in the song is right when a man's doing all that he can and he thinks he's got just what he needs life will deliver a shot that will shiver and drive him down to his knees make him start caring sharing you know waste what is it waste your time it tricks you into leaving every time love will turn you around it'll turn you around which in many ways is straight up melodrama straight and up anybody yeah, which he does anybody so well drunk melodramatic storytelling somewhere some in of, the darkness uh, the gambler he broke even, even. and yeah. of course we all instantly uh. know what breaking even means and it's just it, it's interesting because um I'll, I'll, let me get from the from the wikipedia entry let you guys know that when a race car driver brewster baker stops at a gas station in a small texas town parts are stolen from his race car when a local out a local diner he sees people stealing parts from another car people so he gives chase <laughs> and you could actually make an and argument Winnebago with his race car and, and, and trailer just hauling ass behind him yeah it's funny because it almost feels like a mashup of Smokey and the Bandit and Overboard with Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell or Dukes of Hazard because they're always on a lot of dirt roads going over very small bridges until well that uh, the van he's giving chase with goes into the river turns out the thieves are a bunch of children and the children themselves are members of the Aikens family. And eventually, no matter his uh, surly resistance, he takes them in and they become his pit crew on his way back to uh, winning racing glory. And it's it's interesting, too, because uh, Bob Seger was the um, voted by Rolling Stone two years in a row, the greatest songwriter in America. And if you go back and you look at his catalog. It bears it out in many ways. And there's a great line uh, from Against the Wind when he says, I guess I lost my way. I found myself alone, surrounded by strangers I thought were my friends, further and further away from my home. And that song has a turning Hmm. point in the middle of that song where if you get to the end of it, and my brother pointed this out to me once, the end of the song is, is, is not unhappy. He's got deadlines and commitments. But he's turned things around. He's found some stability. He's actually right, right, found right. he has been seeking shelter against the wind, and he finds it. This period of time— That was, seems to be what everybody in this movie is out for. And, and, they're and all I, drifting, and they're looking for something to I, settle into. I bring that up because the 70s are a giant drift. The 70s, in a lot of ways, people come off their moorings. The promise of the 60s collapses in places like Altamont and the assassinations of Robert F. Kennedy and Martin Luther King in Watergate. All of that promise kind of unravels and leaves people adrift. I mean, you know, the end of the 70s for a lot of people are an emotionally barren place where all you're doing is, you know, drinking and driving too fast and, you know, and flapping <laughs> Dom DeLuise around, you yeah. know. And, and, and your best career is behind you and you'd like another chance at it. And, 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 how can I make this happen? How can I begin to kind of turn the party around? Right. Love, love will turn you around right. and turn you around. And at the heart of this, I think, is the beginning of another zeitgeist. I don't think the film does well at the box office given 
it make it does okay. It, makes it does okay. It does more than it it it, it meant to take it. And it you know, yeah, to, and to, it, to, to make it, it makes right. above and beyond its marketing right. budget, which is what you really have to do. Where it really takes off, though, where it really makes a cultural imprint, where it really uh, so many people have a memory of this movie is the same way people have a memory of Halloween three. People have a memory of it on cable. Right. And Blade Runner as That's well. That's where too. I saw it too. It's cable Just like where it really yeah, yeah, it really yeah. makes an imprint, and and in that way you can talk about the melodrama of something. When I said melodrama, guys, there is like actually a technical way to create a melodrama from the 19th century, and one of the things that you had to have was a song that spoke to the theme. And this movie has a song that speaks almost plot wise. To the theme, love will turn you around. And we've covered a bunch of those. And and I think in a lot of ways, you could look at this movie as the beginning of this sense of the end of the 70s. I mean, this happens, what, 81, 82? 82. 82. It's right after Cannibal Run in 81. And we were talking about this, the idea you can make a case the 60s or 66, 67 to about 75. You can go from the the summer of love all the way to the resignation of Richard Nixon. You can then pick it up with the peanut farmer. And then when uh, John Hinckley had an interesting way of trying to uh, appealing to uh, Jodie Foster, that can kind of end the 80s. It's right around here we begin to get a sense that I'm tired. Yeah. I'm tired of drinking. I'm tired of smoking. I'm tired of being single. I'm tired of like living uh, life on the rims. And what I need to find is the comeback trail. That seems to be the idea of just like, how do we do that? And the foundation, this movie suggests in a very, very kind of, I guess, norm core being the the word of the day. um, I think in many ways, the suggestion is what you need is a good woman. Yeah. A nice family. Right. And to have a family business and to kind of bring it on home. Come home. You're the one that leads it, though, because you, you're the lone wolf out there. Yeah. You know, you you could have settled down, but you waited a few too many years. You got a bit too big. You know, the, the, the wheels literally came off the car. It's two years later. You've been scared, you know, scared of that comeback trail. But when it offers itself and you keep denying it, eventually it they wear you down. You keep buying them ice cream enough. They keep fixing your car. They keep doing nice things for you. And eventually, well, we're going to get that house in Nashville. Yeah, basically it's the plot. Win the race in Atlanta. It's the plot of Despicable Me. Thanks for listening to a preview of this episode of Cargo Cult. Like what you heard? Hear more from Jimmy Mack and Justin Wellborn exclusively on the SiriusXM app. Subscribe today at SiriusXM.com.